Amen. And it's great to see you today and uh, always good to get together with God's people. I did want to mention um, and thank everyone who helped out with the women's uh, Christmas dinner the other night. I, I got to speak at it, so I got to see it. It was amazing. The ladies had a great time and everything went fine. And then a whole lot of people had to set it up and tear it down and make it so that we could do church and appreciate all that uh, everyone did to make this happen for sure. Well, we're going through the book of 2 Samuel, and we've come to 2 Samuel chapter 8. I've been sort of dreading this chapter in a way. It's not, if I was just randomly picking a favorite chapter of the Bible, this wouldn't be it. Um, But discipline forces us to take one chapter every week. It's what I committed to, and it's on the calendar and everything. I was tempted to lump in chapter 9, where David adopts a disabled kid, and it's easy to work that in with it, but chapter 8 is basically brutal. It's basically, you know, David leading in warfare, and war is an ugly thing. Now, in our day and age, the reason that we see this as being so shocking that he's killing all these people and wounding horses and everything. The reason it's so shocking to us is that we lack a perspective of history. I mean, history is rarely taught anymore unless it's taught to judge other people. Now, the truth is, in history, whether you like it or not, every country that exists is there because they killed somebody else in order to take that land. That's the, way the, that's the way the world works. Now, for the first time in history, and this really, there are very few things historically that are unprecedented, but this is. Now, for the first time in history, Western civilization, Western Europe, U.S., Canada, are, seem to be focused not on strengthening borders and strengthening countries, but on giving up and allowing the weak to have equal footing with the strong. And so we're leaving that long precedent of survival of the fittest, which is really, that was around way before Darwin. It's undeniable. The people who are the strongest last. You can't read history and not know that. And yet today we are almost trying to, let's just be as weak as the weakest of us. And that's where pacifism is becoming much more popular nowadays. There have been pacifistic groups in the past. They don't exist anymore because the people who are willing to fight for their freedom, fight for their identity, and fight for their land that actually last over the, over the long term. So with that perspective in mind, what we see here is David has become king over all of Israel. God had promised him certain territory. He had promised Israel way back under Moses. A lot of this land had been violently taken from them during their various exiles, like when they were in Egypt for 400 years, they lost everything that Abraham had accomplished and claimed, and Isaac and Jacob. So, you know, now all of a sudden they're back. They have this land. David, now he's not being threatened specifically, for instance, by the Philistines anymore. They attacked him twice. He defeated them now, you could be pretty, pretty secure if you were just okay being where you are. But he understood that God had called them to take every piece of land to which he had 
committed and promised to them to make sure that you go all the way to your border and then you secure that border. That way the nation can live ultimately in peace. It wasn't because they loved war. It was because they loved peace that they were willing to go to war in order to make a place that was secure enough for them to be able to have the life that God had for them. Ultimately, it happened. And as a result, they had their greatest years during Solomon. Now, again, uh, depending on when you went to school, this may sound completely foreign to you. But I can promise you, everyone who has any piece of land in the world as a country got it because they killed whoever was there before them, at least some of them. And that's just the way it works. You might go, yeah, I mean, the, the American Indians, the Native Americans, they were here you know, for thousands of years before we came and took them. Not really. If you read their history, there was one group that had it. The next group of Native Americans killed them. The next group killed them. It's just the way it works. You may not like it, but that's, that's just the reality. And people who won't accept that, uh, that's why I think Western civilization is going to die. Because somehow, all of a sudden, we aren't willing to fight. What we want to do is, like, let's make everybody equal, egalitarianism. Well, you will be. We'll all be slaves to somebody who's willing to come in and kill. But that's, I'll get off my soapbox. I'm not running for anything. But I just know sometimes we don't, our history... Uh, especially nowadays, isn't doing us, us much justice. So in that context, here's the children of Israel. God has told them, conquer the land that I gave you. Find your territory and secure your borders. And it may get ugly because there are some people who won't allow you to take what I have given them. And some of those people are going to have to die. Oh, that's so awful. You know what? We're all going to die, let's face it. But that's the reality. That was the reality of history, for sure. And so this is why this chapter, I'm prepping you for the fact that it's pretty brutal. And easily, if you're coming from a modern context, you could look at this chapter and go, wow, what kind of a loving God would have someone do such cruelty? And again, you have to have a historical perspective to really even come close to answering that question. Um, so anyhow, with that in mind, let's dive into this chapter that no one will ever embroider on a doily. Second <laughs> Samuel 8, beginning with verse 1. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. They had attacked him before, and he had fought them off, but now he understood. They're just going to keep coming back until I kick them out of the land that God gave to us, which would include the Gaza Strip down there in the southwestern part of Israel, the place that's still Israeli territory, but it's Gaza. It's still kind of its own thing because there are people who just can't accept those borders, so what do you do? You, you have to fight for them. And so he subdued them, and David took Metheg Amma from the hand of the Philistines. That was another name for the city of Gath. It was a Philistine capital down there on the Mediterranean. It was where Goliath the giant came from. Then he defeated Moab. Moab was over on the other side of Israel, behind them, threatening them from the rear. It was at the south, uh, 
um, southeast quadrant of the country of Israel. And so part of what they, where they were was land that God had promised them and so defeated them, forced them down to the ground, measured them off with a line. This is really more detail than I would care to have, but he drew two lines, put people on sides, and everybody on one side of the line he killed, and the other side stayed alive and became servants and paid taxes. Ugh. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates up in the northeast part. David took from him a thousand chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Like, why did he have to hurt the horses? Why did you have to cut their hamstrings? Well, so they couldn't run. Those horses were like tanks or jeeps in a military campaign. You, you don't have to take them all. You really can't take them all, but you can certainly render them useless in a war. And so that's what he did. Again, I'm not even going to defend this. It's kind of gross to me too. I love horses. But at the same time, it's what happened. That was the way it went down. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer because Damascus was up there in the north next to where he was, Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Wow. Then David put garrisons, fortresses, in Syria of Damascus. So he set up a border, strong border there in the north. And the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. They paid taxes. But look at in the end of verse 6. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. It doesn't say that God told him to do all this stuff. But he got away with it and God protected him wherever, whatever he did. How he made these decisions, I don't know if he said, God, how many people should I kill here? Or should I set up this battle or not? But God was preserving him because I think he was trying to do what God had told him to do all along. And so now you may go, that just doesn't sound like loving Jesus. Read the book of Revelation where the wrath of the lamb comes out and he kills everything that moves. And then you'll understand there's a time that this needs to happen. David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer, brought them to Jerusalem. He ended up getting a bunch of bronze. He, there was a, a king toy, king of Hamath, who had been an enemy of Hadadezer. So he sent his son to David with a bunch of presents to greet him and bless him. So now he had a neighbor that was on his side too. And Hadadezer was happy that, that uh, you know, or Toy was happy that Hadadezer was out of the picture. So he gave him silver, gold, bronze. Verse 11, King David also dedicated these to the Lord. Doesn't this seem weird? That this is what he was, we think of David as writing songs, but he was also doing battle and saying, God, this is for you. It's, it's, it's difficult. You can see why I'm the only pastor in America preaching on this particular chapter. <laughs> but I'm going through and there it is. So along with all the silver and gold and everything. And, and then from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, the Philistines, the Amalekites, he had all this stuff. 
In verse 13, David made himself a name. People knew who he was after this. When he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in one battle in one valley, okay. Well, why is it important that David made himself a name? Because now they had some stuff, and people were much less likely to come and take their stuff. People don't invade strong countries. They invade weak countries. And so he was establishing a certain security that the nation would end up enjoying for a long time, even after David had died. Verse 14, he also put garrisons in Edom. That was in the east as well. And the Edomites became David's servants. And again, in verse 14, the Lord preserved David wherever he went. He was dedicated to God. God preserved him. So David reigned over all Israel. They had their nation secured. Their borders were secure. And David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Now, in the last few verses of the chapter, he lays out the organizational chart. David was very organized in the way that he did this, in the way that he ran the country, in a way that Saul never had been. Saul was just running the nation haphazardly. David had people in charge of stuff. They were held accountable. If everyone would do their jobs, they could maintain safety, security, and a peace that comes through the security of power being established. And so Joab, you remember hearing about him before if you were with us, pretty brutal guy, really good at killing people. And so he was in charge of the army. You might not want to socialize with Joab, but you want him having your back if someone's coming after you. And that's the way David felt. David was kind of disgusted by Joab, but he still put him in charge of the army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was the recorder. He was kind of running things from an accounting perspective. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priests. They had been around for a long time. Sariah was the scribe. He was a writer. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, Cherethites and Pelethites were guys who weren't Jewish, but they were kind of hired mercenaries to come and do what needed to be done. So they had a guy, they had a Jewish boss who was over them. And David's sons, who were fairly young at the time, were chief ministers. The word there, Kohath, is literally usually translated priest. But What's thought of, I mean, David wasn't from the tribe of Levi, so technically his sons couldn't be priests, but they were probably interns within the religious system, within the temple, in order to get experience that would train them later. In fact, there's no better preparation for life than to volunteer in some way serving the Lord. Even if that's not where you're going to end up, it's great training grounds, and that's what David felt for his sons, and so they were putting that thing. So there you go, that's chapter eight. Are you happy? <laughs> the question we really have to ask this is informative historically, and as often, history can be ugly. But in the big picture, the Bible tells us that everything in the Bible is here as an example for us. And so that means what am I really supposed to learn from this? And for me, I always try to go, okay, I get this about establishing a nation that God had called them to. But what does that have to do with me? 
is this telling me to go establish some nation? Or is this telling me to go and you know, overthrow our government or whatever? But the truth is, everyone, David had a responsibility that God had given him to conquer the land that God had promised him. Now, on a, on a, more, you know, a more specific level, personally, if you think about it, Every one of us has a certain territory that God has called us to gain control over. We have certain callings within our lives. We have certain purposes to which we are called. And in the same way that if a nation is going to survive, it needs to know its borders and then develop within those borders that which can propagate the values that you are attempting to pursue so that you can establish a stable life, for me, that is a perfect analogy. And the Bible, in several places, draws those conclusions as well. So here's how I look at this personally. I go, okay, that means I have a territory. Just like the nation of Israel had a territory, I have a territory. It's important that I take as much control as I can within the territory of my own personal responsibility, my own personal calling. I want to master that which God says, Dave, this is your area. Now take it, strengthen it, defend it. Sometimes you have to get rid of things that you just as soon keep, but you're you're occupying your territory is so important Sometimes you're almost going to have to be ruthless with things that take up a part of your life that may take away from you being able to do life the way that you really need to do it. And that is certainly true for every one of us. You know, we're all different. We all have different callings. We all have different individual lives. And yet, this picture of what Israel had to do is an example of exactly what we all have to do. And it starts with, knowing our territory. Most of the time, we end up spending time on things that aren't any of our business at all. They aren't any of our concern at all. We just tend to take everything in. I mean, if you don't understand this, watch an episode or two of Hoarders. I watch, I watch Hoarders at least once a month just to remind myself of what can happen if I don't eliminate things that don't belong there, if I take on too much. Because, and it's not just about junk. You know, the great thing is your kids are grown. You have room for junk. But more than that, it's your life. It's your time. It's your resources. It's everything in your life. Do you just want to take everything as it comes? In our society, it's especially through technology, It's so easy to take on everything because in my phone is access to everything. I can look, it was funny, at the women's Christmas thing, they were doing a game, like a trivia game, and questions were impossible. But I mean, like, how old was Peggy Lee when she recorded her first song? I think she was like 11 or something. But I was just sitting in the back watching, and I figured out after a couple minutes. They're just Googling on their phone. All of a sudden, they know all this stuff, and it's because they're just Googling it. But what society does to us today is it inundates us 
with information and opportunities. On Giving Tuesday, I was invited to give to probably 300 different ministries. The funny thing is, all the people that are trying to hit me up on Giving Tuesday, they're back again on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. They're the people that are begging for money all the time. Seems to be their business. Making me think that my responsibility, and, and politically, I've, I've confessed that I donated a little bit of money to Herschel Walker's Senate campaign in Georgia. Just because I like Herschel Walker. I don't anymore because he texts me like five, ten times a day <laughs> wanting more money from me. I'm like, come on, Herschel, you're a professional athlete. I'm a pastor. So give me a break. But, you know, this is where there are no limits, there are no boundaries, there are no borders to the demands that people make on us. And it's not that that's so bad. It's that what could I have been doing in my own territory that instead I end up consuming it, sorting stuff, looking for a paper that I needed because there's so many other papers that I don't need that's piled in there with it, looking at my calendar and going, oh, I have so much schedule that this is really important, but how am I going to wedge it in? We live our lives with what we think is abundance when what it really is is a lack of margin, a lack of focus, a lack of really knowing where my territory lies. You will best find your territory when you start eliminating things that aren't your territory. When you start rejecting things that you go, that has nothing to do with me at this point, and I can set it aside. Um, Howie Hendricks who was a longtime professor at Dallas Seminary. I think he taught there like 50 or 60 years. At his retirement party, he was in his 80s, somebody asked him, you know, what's the key for you staying, doing what you've been doing, the same thing all these years? And how he said, the key to concentration is elimination. And I thought, that's really powerful. Because if I look at my life and I go, I don't even know where my territory is, you start by eliminating things that aren't your territory. Eliminating concerns that you can't do anything about. Eliminating things you're not very good at. I mean, sometimes, and I tend to want to do everything. That's just the kind of person I am. But I've discovered uh, over time that as much as it's hard, I, I don't like to pay somebody to do my lawn because I can do it. But eventually, Anne gets so sick of me, you know, not doing it or not doing it the way she wants to. She can, she can bring in gardeners and she can be rude to them. And if she offends them, there's other gardeners out there. Come on. They're coming across the border constantly. So, <laughs> sorry, that's bad. But borders. But here's the thing. It ends up being the smartest thing in the world for me to pay a bit for somebody to do my yard because that's what they do. They like doing that. That provides for their family. And at the same time, that gives me another piece of time and energy in which I can invest in something that I really am good at. Every time I do a fixer-upper project and it takes all day or two days or three days and five trips to Home Depot, and then somebody goes, I could have done that for you in like 10 minutes. <laughs> You're probably right. So identifying your territory partly involves eliminating things that really aren't your territory. 
It's also understanding you have a limited amount of time and resources. It's not unlimited. And like um, Annie Dillard, one of my favorite writers, said at one point, she said, how you spend your day is, of course, how you spend your life. And that sounds really simplistic, but you think about it. What you decide to do today, that is your life. Your, your, your life could end today. But all of those days that you have stack up, and this is what was important to you. So to look at it and say, okay, God, let's look back up. Let's talk to the scribes. Where is our northern border supposed to be? What do I need to do to conquer and secure that border? That's what we have to do in our lives. Or we just become, you know, flailing around, a little of everything, not much of anything, no focus, and and no sense of, like, I'm accomplishing that which I was born to accomplish. I'm doing what I know I was called to do. And as we begin to eliminate things and the picture begins to develop, we gain clarity concerning what is my territory and what the area of your territory is in your life and mine. And by the way, it changes through the years. Man, when you're a parent, it's different than when your kids are grown or when you're a grandparent or you know, when you're working, it's different than when you're retired and things like that. But at the same time, this always has to be a constant awareness that today I need to make sure that I'm doing something not just within my territory, but I'm doing those things that will secure my territory by identifying what belongs there and what doesn't. A lot of this comes down to what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. Um, Paul makes it very clear, and I know in the men's Tuesday morning study, they're going through 1 Corinthians, and Jerry and I have been talking about this some there at chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are mentioned by Paul and there are three different lists, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. All the lists are different. The idea is everyone is given certain capacities, certain aptitudes, certain opportunities. And you need to know what your gifts are so that what you're doing is a part of what God has gifted you to do. Now, we should, as life goes on, begin to become more and more proficient at recognizing What is it that I do that when I do it, I feel like, wow, like Paul, for this I was born and for this came I into the world. Where do those happen? And then go, at the same time, there are things I do that it just never works. It's frustrating. It's empty. Well, we have to figure out, okay, what place does God have for me? And the spiritual gifts, um, for instance, within the body of Christ, mean that everyone has a different set of capacities. And he lists some of those verses like helping and administration and giving and, and uh, you know, wisdom and knowledge and all sorts of things. But it's like everyone has, everyone's different with different combinations of those gifts. But our job as Christians is to figure out where are my gifts so that then I can be doing things that I can go, yep, that's when I feel most myself that's when I feel most at home. There are people who could not get up and, and do a you know, Bible study, but they, they love being able to come in afterwards and put the tables away and the chairs and set up the tables and, because we're all different. We have different gifts. Um, 
If I spent a couple hours putting tables and chairs away, I couldn't even be here. I couldn't stand up because I'm old. But, you know, I don't know if that was ever a gift. It was just something you do when you're young and stupid. But for every one of us, we have a responsibility. What is it that when I do it, it's like, that was clicking. That really felt natural. And, you know, sometimes when you... Uh, when you're doing something that you're gifted at, you're kind of sensitive about it. And if somebody questions you or questions the way you did it, you start thinking, I don't know, man, maybe this isn't my gift. Maybe this isn't what I should do. No, people are always going to have a problem with the way you do what you do because you're gifted at it and they aren't. So they're always going to resent you. If you were talking with the worship team about somebody said something and everyone in the worship team was laughing except one person who was saying, that's not funny. And I go, you know, the thing about funny is when somebody thinks it's not funny, but most people do, obviously it's funny. And it's even funnier because you don't get it. And <laughs> I won't say which person it was. But, you know, that's life. If you're functioning within your gifts, sometimes people are going to question. But you know. Man, when I'm doing this, it really feels natural. And God doesn't need all of us to just knock ourselves out doing everything for him. I think if there are people who are trying to do too much for God, and as a result, they can't really enjoy their gifts because they're trying to do everything and they wear themselves out. We need to gain a focus and go, here are my borders, here's my territory, here's my calling, here are my gifts. And in the process of that, Strategic partnerships and delegation are essential. Um, you look at the list of these guys at the end of the chapter. David understood. Everybody can't be like me. So I'm going to have to have some people doing stuff that they're good at, and I don't even like the way they do it. Certainly, that's the way, that was his attitude toward his general, Joab. It was like, I hate the way he does it, but... When you need somebody to be killed, he's the guy to call. See, that's how it works. That's how the body works. You know, that we're not all the same. We're all different. We have different capacities. So let's not challenge people in areas that aren't our areas of responsibility. Instead, let's be challenged by their relentless pursuit of what it is that they are called to do. And let's us pursue what we're supposed to do. And if it's a, if it's a small thing... I don't think God looks at like there are people who every Sunday that make me feel good when I walk into the sanctuary because they're greeting. There are people who bless me so much because they send me an email every week saying detailed what they're praying for me about. Or, you know, somebody, there's a guy who puts the title, gets the title of the message during the week so that it can go on the, on the uh, D- CDs and DVD things. And the great thing is, I haven't even thought about what the title is until I get his email, Eric's email, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I should start to focus this message a little bit. So, but everyone has that job, and what you do contributes greatly. Be fine with your borders, but find your borders, and don't let other stuff come and crowd in the way. You cannot tolerate allowing the enemy to live inside of your territory. And the enemy, I'm not talking about your spouse, the the enemy are things that make you think that you should be doing it when really 
you shouldn't be. So you eliminate those things and you begin to find a clarity and then you plug in those partnerships, the, the delegation. It's like, not, it, it's easy for me to be around people who are like me. It's harder for me to be around people who are different than me, but I need people who are different than me to allow me to do everything that I do and them to do everything that they do. So we have to come to those kind of connections. And at some point, you cannot you know, achieve your territory until you have a place where you're plugged in. That's what makes church so important, to get involved so that you can then perform that which God has called you to do. And so, you know, to me, I see that as we go through. Now, in the process of all of that, um, always acknowledge the presence of God. Isn't it ironic? And it's hard for us to even relate to. David's killing people, and God was with him. David's killing people, and he's taking their stuff, and he's dedicating it to God. Life can be brutal sometimes, but we have to keep him at the center. Whatever our job is, whatever our territory is, God is the constant. We have to, you know, just habitually make sure that he is at the center of what we are trying to do. And what we're trying to do, and you might go, well, what if I'm functioning completely outside my giftedness? Don't worry, people will let you know. When you're functioning in your territory, it starts to work. It does. If, people, if you're trying to do something and nobody thinks that you're good at it, you're probably out of your area, which isn't a big deal, except that that means you're not in the territory that you should be taking. And so, you know, for all of us, I think it's a time for us to consider and go, so what is my niche? What are my gifts? What is it that is the boundary that I need to secure, where I need to get everything out that doesn't fit so that as I live my life, I'm living my life in the best way that I possibly can to accomplish and achieve what God has called me to accomplish and achieve. And nothing feels more satisfying than when you're like, wow, this feels right. This is flowing. And then finally, as in the case of Israel, they can start to polish things off and really, they're preparing the way for Israel's greatest time of prosperity ever under Solomon because their borders were secure. We need to secure our borders personally and allow God to lead us to be everything that he wants us to be and especially nothing more than what he wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this chapter as much as it's kind of weird and violent and, and there's no one here who's going to go, this is now my life verse. Um, but so, it's just like our life. We would rather dabble in the glamorous. We would rather pick and choose whatever verse we feel like. And sometimes you have a message for us about staying in our lane, about staying in our territory and conquering the territory by ruthlessly eliminating everything that doesn't belong in our lives, the choices that we make that are devastating to what you want to do through us. Lord, we all have stuff in our life that we'd really, life would be so much more clear 
if those things were removed and if we're wasting our energy and resources and time on things that really should be put outside the camp. Help us to have that kind of discipline, to not hoard, to not be pushed into taking on things that it's really you haven't called us to it. Somebody else thinks we should. Lord, I thank you for having territory for all of us, for having boundaries and a place for every one of us to fit in within your body, within your people. And so, Lord, teach us to find that place and to continue to secure our borders personally. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well.